0: Last week, we looked at how Isaiah, the prophet under the anointing of the Spirit, prophesied of the Lord Jesus Christ, his pre-existence, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and of course, his ascension and his glorification, all around about 750 B.C., or before Christ was born, 750 years Isaiah sees the Lord Jesus on his throne in glory in Isaiah 6. He sees Jesus as a baby born and a son given in Isaiah 9. He sees him as a tender plant and a root out of the dry ground in Isaiah 53. He sees him as our sin bearer on the cross in chapter 53 also. And he sees the resurrected, glorified Savior also in chapter 53, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He sees the Lord Jesus as king, a king reigning in righteousness in chapter 32. All throughout, Isaiah looks toward the coming of the Son of God. It looks towards the coming, the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 10, the New Testament, Acts 10 and verse 43, Peter preaches after the day of Pentecost. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, he says, to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Notice Peter looking at the man Christ Jesus says, Him, that one, that man, he is the one the prophets spoke of, he is the one the prophets witnessed of. He is the one that in his name, if we believe in him, we shall have or receive remission of sin. Again in Second Peter chapter one and verse twenty one. Peter tells us, For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Isaiah was one of them. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The word moved there means lifted up and carried along in the Spirit, or borne along by the Holy Ghost. Isaiah was a man who finds himself at times Overwhelmed and overcome with the Holy Ghost. Overwhelmed and overcome by God himself. Christ showing forth the coming of the Son of God. Christ showing forth the very cross work of the Son of God. Showing forth that he himself would come and take on flesh and bear our sin away on the tree. He was born along like other prophets of the Holy Ghost. If you turn with me to John chapter 12, briefly, please. John's gospel, chapter 12. John is seeing and watching, if you will, the Lord Jesus Christ, ministering among many. In John chapter 12, we read of a wonderful little verse. John speaks of the Lord Jesus. John 12, just a couple of verses, please. Verse 37 and verse 38. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. This is those who were uh, the Jewish Pharisees and those who were around him, even though he was ministering as he said he would, they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, or that is Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled which he spake. Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Here we see it takes again the Holy Spirit to quicken a man or a woman to be able to see the Son of God, to recognize the Son of God, to look upon the Son of God, to believe on the Son of God, to receive the Son of God. And these men and these women could not believe because they were dead toward God. But notice what it was. It was to fulfill a prophetic utterance that God had spoken over 700 years previous, that the people would not receive him when he came into the world. Verse 39 says, therefore, they could not believe, not they did not believe, not they would not believe. People are saying, I chose Jesus. I chose Jesus. You did not choose Jesus. Jesus, choose you, brother. Choose you, sister. These men and women could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he that is Almighty God hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I should heal them. Notice verse forty-one. These things said Isaiah, or Isaiah, when he saw his glory, and spake of him. When Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus, and spake of the glory that he saw. When Isaiah saw him in eternity and speak of the one who makes eternity and is eternal. Isaiah saw Jesus before Bethlehem and Isaiah spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know it is, it is said in oral tradition, especially in Jewish circles, that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in half by Manasseh, the king of Judah, that is Hezekiah, the reformer king we have been studying in the Bible studies. His son, it said that Manasseh sawed Isaiah in half with a wooden saw. With a wooden saw because he said he saw Yahweh. Because he proclaimed he saw the Lord. Because he proclaimed he saw Christ, he was sawn in half with a wooden saw. Some say, some go further, I can't be dogmatic in this, I don't know, it's oral tradition, and a lot of it's nonsense. But also, some say, he was in hiding and ran into the hollow of a tree, and while Manasseh and his troops were looking for Isaiah the prophet, he was told off by the, the garment, the end, or the hem of his garment, which peeked through the crevice of the tree, and so they saw him in half, tree and all, with Isaiah the prophet in it. Here is a picture, if this is true, of the finished work, the hem of the garment. Here is a picture, the finished work, of the blood that poured forth from the tree. Here is a picture, the finished work of the cross of Calvary when Christ died. Even in his life it may be that Isaiah the prophet showed forth Christ. He spake of Christ. He told of Christ He talked of Christ, he preached Christ, and he saw Christ. Brothers and sisters, when a man and a woman truly, I mean really, truly see the Lord Jesus Christ through the anointing of the Spirit of God, when they see the Lord Jesus Christ and at conversion, when they truly receive the Lord Jesus Christ, then nothing, nothing will be able to pluck them from his hand. And you'll find that the man and the woman who truly receive Christ, they'll never be able to turn away from him fully because they'll know that he is living, that he is real, and that he is alive. Here Isaiah could not deny him. The fifth evangelist speaks to us even this evening. And Isaiah foretold of Christ. The Lord Jesus was healing all manner of sick And Matthew, under the anointing, writes also, beholding Christ and looking at him. If you'll turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. Matthew, hearing of Christ, seeing Christ, the man who would sit at the receipt of custom, who had received forgiveness of sin, hated by his own people, hated by all people because... He was a tax collector on behalf of the Roman government. Matthew 8 and verse 17, while watching people healed and devils cast out by his word, that is the word of the Lord. Verse 17 says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Christ, on the account of him going to the cross, healed the sick even before the cross. Christ, on the account of him shedding his blood, healed the sick and cast out devils, because he knew the cross as far as he was concerned, as man under the will of the Father, and as God Almighty, deity, he knew it was as good as done. It was already done. On the account of the cross here, he says, Isaiah said, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And that's what Christ did for us when he died at the cross. The Holy Ghost, who anointed the eyes and the mind of Isaiah the prophet to see the word of God upon his throne, now anoints the apostles to recognize the Son of God. The word made flesh, walking among them in mighty power and anointing with a miraculous ministry. Peter declares in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. It reminds me of John chapter 3 when Nicodemus comes to the Savior at night and he says, Good Master, no man can do the things that thou doest save God be with him. God wasn't just with him. God was in him. And he was Almighty God. As a man, he is anointed of the Spirit. And as God, he healed the second cast out devils. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory, and speak of him. Isaiah saw all of this we looked at last week, and what we'll see in a moment, Isaiah saw it all, starting here in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. I saw Yahweh sitting upon the throne, and his train filled the temple. Yes, he spoke of him. In Isaiah 66, in our reading, verses 22 to 24. The last portion of Scripture from this last chapter of the book of this prophet. The prophet is born along, and he is carried along by the Holy Ghost. Now listen. The Holy Ghost catapults, as it were. The Holy Ghost catapults Isaiah the prophet. The Holy Ghost catapults you and I, this evening. The Holy Ghost takes us, and as it were, he flings us. The Holy Ghost takes us and brings us right into eternity future. The Holy Ghost takes us from 2016, and he takes us right past the second coming of Christ. He takes us right past the very setting up of the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign Of Jesus on his throne. And the Holy Ghost takes us and brings us right past the great white throne judgment of the sinner and the Christ rejector. And he takes us right past the great lake of fire. And he takes us right past all of it and brings us into the eternal kingdom of the Father, the Savior's world from heaven invading earth. And he shows us something spectacular. And he shows us something wonderful. Notice what he says here. He takes us from eternity past the birth of Jesus, past the life, the miraculous life of Jesus, past the death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension, the glorification of Jesus, right into his eternal kingdom. We are taken through the Spirit into eternity. And only the Spirit-born spirit-opened eyes, spirit-listening ears, Holy Spirit-illuminated mind, and the redeemed, yielded heart and will of the believer through the imparted faith and imputed righteousness of Christ, they alone will believe what we're saying tonight. If you're saved and blood-washed, if you're blood-bought, if you're born again of the Spirit, if your eyes have been opened to the spiritual realm and matters of the Word of God, and if your heart is receptive to the things of God because the Holy Ghost has already filled you, then you will see the wonderful, glorious, eternal kingdom that will come upon this earth. Not only when Christ returns, but when Christ hands His kingdom over to the Father. He will present it back to His Father. The believer will be thrilled by this because he will believe this. He will be enamored with it. And the low we, as it were, see through a glass darkly, you and I, brothers and sisters, should be excited at what God is going to do for you and I in eternity. Isaiah 66, let's look at our reading, verse 22. Yahweh... Yahweh, who is Elohim, Almighty God, our Father, he speaks through the prophet and he says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I shall make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Notice what he says here. Hear the one on the throne that Isaiah has saw in chapter 6. Yahweh is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one whom he's seen, whom the angels, the cherubim, and the seraphim bow down and worship. Those whom have six wings, and with twain they cover their face, and with twain they do cover their feet, and with twain they do fly, and one cries unto another, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The selfsame one now speaks and he says these words. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I shall make shall remain before me. He is showing himself as a great creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who healed the sick. The one who cast out the devil the one who raised the dead, the one who touches a young girl who has passed away and says, Talitha, come little maid or damsel, I say unto thee. Or as one dialect says, Hey, little lamb, arise, awake. With such gentle form and with such gentle poise, with such wonderful, powerful words, He is the one who says, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, the heavens we speak of here, that the word speaks of, is not heaven where God's abode is with the angels. It's perfected. It is our atmosphere where we fly through an airplane It is our outer space with the billions upon billions or whatever is out there of galaxies and universes and all those things that we have no notion or understanding about. The Lord Jesus says, I will make it new. Brother, what are you facing? Sister, what are you facing? Can I ask you something? Why are you doubting? Why doubt this one? What are you facing in your life? What is your hardship? What is your trial? What is the mountain you must climb, the gent you must face, the valley you must traverse? What is it that comes against you? What is the storm that faces you? For he is the one who walked upon the sea and said, be muzzled. And the storm was stilled. And Job 9 and verse 8 speaks of he who created the heavens All the universe and all the galaxies that are right there. And Job, under the anointing, speaks of the one who created Arcturus and Pleiades and Orion. He says, and he alone who did that also treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Christ walked upon the sea. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. We diminish Christ. We belittle Christ. We diminish him to some meek and mild and lowly figure of a pathetic human being. And while he was man, a very man, he was God, a very God, a very God. The new heavens and the new earth, he says, I will make and it shall remain. John chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word. John saw him on the throne. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos of God. Everything that God is, uh, the very Theophany, the very appearance of God, the invisible God manifest upon a throne. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Hear the Word, the Word of God speaks out, and God creates the heavens and the earth. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him, And for him, verse 17 says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Think about this. The one who hung and bled and died, writhing in agony and pain, suffering for you and me, is the one spoken of here. He is the same one spoken of who hung and bled and died on the cross. First of all, we have the Savior's word. He makes a new heaven and a new earth. Listen to Isaiah 65 and verse 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, for the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Behold, I create Jerusalem rejoicing and her people a joy. Verse 19, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her nor the voice of crying. Notice what the Lord says here. The old earth will not be remembered anymore. Now brothers and sisters, let's be, uh, let's be a little intelligent about this if the earth is going to be burnt to a cinder and disintegrated to dust and remade again by God, then where are we? Then where are those in the millennial reign of Christ? Those of us who are glorified in our bodies and reigning with Christ a thousand years, where are we? You see, the earth will never be destroyed it means it will be renovated. God will start to speak his word forth again and things will come around like it was in Eden. And God will cast out all demonic influences for they will be burned in the lake of fire, the dragon and the beast and the false prophet and whosoever loveth the make of the lie. And all of that catalogue, the fear and the whoremongering, shall all be cast into the lake of fire. And now God says, I will renovate a new heavens and earth. In fact, the heaven of God, God's abode with his angels, will reach down and just swallow up our atmosphere. It will swallow up this earth. And the very stone, as it were, the very foundations of our earth, Cannot resist his power. But it must bloom in his sight. It must bloom before God. Start to grow. And the trees will flourish. And the thorn and the thistle will disappear. And no animal will be eating animal. And man who is redeemed. And chains will be glorified. And from heaven to earth. And from earth to heaven. He creates a new heavens. And a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The Lord is glorified through it all. This is our God. This is our God. After the judgment of the lost, after the burning lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20, which is the second death, eternal burning, which is the second death, we're told in Revelation 21, verses, verse 1. Notice, John writes, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, that's symbolic. No more sea means there's no troubled nations anymore. First, 2 says, And I, John, saw the holy city. Notice, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. This isn't a big concrete city or some golden city or some pearly gate city coming down like a spaceship to land on planet Earth. That's not what John is saying. The New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. The New Jerusalem is the Lamb's wife. The New Jerusalem are the redeemed saints of God. The new Jerusalem is you and the new Jerusalem is me. And so through the prophecy of of Isaiah, God says, And I will cause a rejoicing to come in that new Jerusalem. I will cause a rejoicing to be always in my people. That's what he's saying. We will be rejoicing at the redemption and the salvation of Christ for all eternity. Isaiah 39 and 35 and verse 9, we are told, and the redeemed, the blood bought, the redeemed of the Lord, that is, the redeemed shall walk there. We will be the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 24, just for time's sake. It would be advantageous of you if you would read the whole chapter when you go home, but for time's sake, verse 24. Notice this. Let's read verse 23, actually. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits; afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. So here we stop and we see there are those who are saved and changed, those of us who have received our glorified bodies. Notice what it says in verse 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all enemies under his feet. But when He saith, all these things are put under him. It is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. him." And when all things shall be subdued unto him, notice this, then shall the Son, capital S for the only begotten Son, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Christ will return. We will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We will rule and reign for a thousand years. The devil will be bound. There will be a righteous living, and there will be people there who know not Christ, and there will be people dying in the kingdom in that millennial reign. And they'll receive benefit health of long life there. But nevertheless, it'll be the redeemed of the Lord that will walk there. And after that, those who are unsaved and those who have died without Christ, they will be summoned to the great white throne judgment. And they will stand before him and give an account. And as they give an account, they'll be found guilty as charged. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. The old devil is released. And the, and the, the unregenerate, they start going uh, uh, toward the hearing the of Christ again in the kingdom. And Christ then conquers all. Why? Because then he must be justified of, of all that he does. Then comes the end after the great burning fire of judgment. that eternal lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And Christ hands over the kingdom to his Father. And his Father's glory fills from the Father's throne. Fills from the realms of glory. Fills from the abode of heaven of the Father and the angels. And it comes right down through outer space. Right through our atmosphere and our very skies which we fly in. And it swallows up the earth. And the glory of God... The glory of God is through us all and in us all. And the glory of God, we live in it forever and forever and ever and ever in our glorified bodies. Brothers and sisters, does this not excite your heart? Secondly, quickly we have Isaiah 66 and 23. If you'll turn with me. Isaiah 66 and 23. And it shall come to pass from that, from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Here we have, first of all, we had the Saviour's world. Now we have the saints' worship. One new moon to another, one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. At the beginning of the chapter, Isaiah 66 and verse 1, it says, Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Notice the link here. This is where the Father's glory will come. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. He will come in power and glory over all the earth. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build to me, and where is the place of my rest, he says. God that fills the heavens and the earth. His resting place on earth was once a tabernacle in a wilderness. Became a temple in Jerusalem. And now it's his people. We are the resting place of God in our hearts. John 4, Jesus goes to the woman at the well, the woman of ill repute, to speak unto her and ask to drink. And he gets into Discourse of conversation with her. And he says in John 4 and 23, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24 God is a spirit. Now, note that God is a spirit. Listen, God isn't a wee man sitting up there in a committee. God is the eternal spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father, he says, seeketh such to worship him. In other words, worship will not be when one new moon appears, we go to worship, and then another new moon. Worship will not be when one Sabbath comes around or one Saturday or Sunday. Worship will not be when the flesh takes the fancy or feels like it, nor when the notion takes us. Worship will be continual. Worship will be unhibited. Worship will be unrestrained, unreserved. It will be perpetual and it will be spiritual. It will be in all of us who are redeemed. We will walk in a constant mode of worship in the kingdom. Constantly, in our hearts, we will love Jesus. Continually and perpetually, as eon of eon of eon passes one another for all of eternity, our hearts will love him and worship him. He says, I will cause it to happen that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, Lord shall always be before me in worship. You better get to like the worship, sister. You better get to like the worship, brother. Because there's going to be a time when you're just going to be walking around the kingdom of God. You're going to be wherever we are. Whether we're going to be up there in a heaven or down here on an earth. Or on another planet or wherever he wants to put us. Whatever he does with us, we are going to be walking around in a state of worship. Our whole being will be consumed with Christ. Our whole being will be in love with Christ. Our whole being will be rejoicing in him for eternity. The little bit that comes every now and again when we're conscious of the Spirit moving. The little bit that comes every now and again when he decides to move and to touch in a special way in a meeting or a heart or a person or a mind. Or the little bit that comes when we're conscious that we even feel his presence. It will be eternal with us all the time. Be in us and through us. This is the saints' worship. We will worship continually the Lord Jesus Christ. The saints' worship will be everywhere at all times and all places from all of the saints because of the Spirit of the Father in us. For we are told, God may be all in all. Revelation 21 and verse 22. Notice this. This is the eternal kingdom. This is after the Great White Throne Judgment. This is after the Millennial Reign. Revelation 21 verse 22 says, "And I saw no temple there. There's no temple to go to. I tell you, about not. Don't a building won't be there. There'll be no church building to go to. Everyone from heaven, everyone from the heavens, the abode of the Father." Everyone from there to the earth, on the earth, around the earth, throughout the heavens, every creature, every person, every man, every woman, everyone that's young and everyone that's old, everyone will walk around. As it were, every angelic being, an angel of God will be walking around constantly in a state of worship before Jesus. There's no temple there for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or the temple of it. Now, notice this. First of all, we're his temple. Now he becomes our temple. Jesus says, if ye abide in me and I abide in you, isn't that what he says? That we may be one even as... That they may be one with us, Father, even as we are one. In other words, we are in him and he is in us. And wherever we go, he's our temple. We're in constantly in the church worship experience. We're constantly in, as it were, the temple of God, worshiping before God, before his throne. We're constantly in our hearts and our minds before him. And he is constantly in us. And everywhere we go, we are just in a state of temple worship. So if you don't like to sing more than 20 minutes, I think you're going to have a hard time. It won't be just about singing. It'll be a state of mind, a state of heart, because he says, my, the Father's name will be written on you. It's not, it's not as tattooed on us. It says, teaching his word will burn in our breast. His word will be alive in us. His spirit will be moving in us. That's the idea of it. Everywhere we go, His Spirit will be alive in us. Thirdly, finally, we have had the Savior's world. We've had the saints worship. Now the sinner's worm. The sinner's worm. Look at Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring to all flesh. Notice this their worm dieth not, their fire is not quenched. Notice, first of all, the personal point. This is important the personal point. Their worm. Their fire. Not the worm and the fire. Their worm. Their fire. I don't want my loved ones going here. I don't want them to have their worm and their fire. Notice not only the personal point, but notice the permanent point. Dieth not. Permanent, dieth not, not quenched. Permanent. Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. We'll not read it, but you can mark it and read it when you go home. The Lord Jesus speaks of those. Those who are not right with him and unsaved. And notice what he says. He speaks of the worm that dies not and fire that is not quenched, and he takes it, and he speaks it three times, by the way, and he takes it from Isaiah 66 and 24. This is the Lord Jesus who said this. He says it in verses 44, 46, and 48 of Isaiah 9. Where the worm dieth not and their fire is not quenched. The words there, worm dieth not, is pictured by the place of burning, which was outside Jerusalem. But it was actually uh, northwest to southwest, there was a ravine, and it's where the Hinnon, the Hinnon Valley was. And there used to be a place years before, um, when the kings of Judah were there, uh, they used to worship Moloch and light fires and put their children in the fire there, boil children alive in uh, brazen altars on to Moloch and cause them to do fire walking through the fire. And they worshiped their God, as it were, the heathen God in Israel, or Judah at this time, Moloch like this. Then Josiah was a good king. He was a young king, and he brought reform, and he stopped all of that worship. But it became known then as a dumping ground. And all the animals from the temple, the carcasses and the offal, And the bones and the skin and all the manner of things that were no use. They took it out and they threw it outside until it would pile up. And the stench of it and the stink of it it, in the heat of the day, it was absolutely disgusting. So what they did to save the seas was they set it on fire. And they started to burn it. And you imagine what it's like if you brother or sister have passed a burn house before and you've got a whiff of the burn house. It's absolutely vile. Can you imagine a burn house halfway around the city? Can you imagine a burn house blowing over Jerusalem? The smoke when the wind changes and the breeze of it. Can you imagine the stench of it? Can you imagine the flames of it? Can you imagine the heat of it? And then the, the rotten flesh where maggots have now taken place, where the flies have landed, and now it's starting to rot, the stench of it. Worms start to breed, and worms are continually in the flesh that hasn't burnt yet, and they're wriggling, gnawing, and chewing away at it. Jesus takes this picture, and he says, for those who are rejecting me, he says, even as Isaiah has said, he says, they will go to a place, uh, he says, where the worm dieth not, And the fire is not quenched. Every day there were sacrifices, morning and evening. And it was burned outside. Passover, burned outside. It was all taken and burned outside. Listen to Isaiah 66 and verse 24. The carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm doth not, neither their fire quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. And he says the idea is, Neither shall their fire be quenched. It's a word. It's a word, asbestos, and it's where you and I get our English word asbestos. Where asbestos is that which says to protect from fire. In other words, this is such a, a a powerful heat or fire. It's asbestos. In other words, Jesus is using these words. He says, their worm dieth not. And the idea of their worm dieth not is the idea of a conscious, gnawing regret for eternity that they rejected Christ. I'm going to say it again. Their worm dieth not is the idea of a conscious, gnawing regret at one's refusal and rejection of Christ, all eternity, they rejected him while you and I are in the father 's kingdom, and he is all and all in his continual, habitual state of worship. What a difference. I finish with this thought. Hebrews 13, 11 and 12 says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, notice, are burned without the camp. That's the place we're speaking of. Are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he may sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Suffered without the gate. What are they saying? Jesus was taken and crucified outside the city walls. Jesus was buried outside. He says, like a dead animal, he's taken down from the cross. Like that which is to be burned. In other words, he took on him that which was mine and that which was yours. He bore the burden to Calvary. And he suffered and died alone. Isaiah saw this, finished his last chapter and his last book, saying the Father's kingdom will come. Are you ready? Are you saved? Are you Christ's? Are you His?